This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. He's simply the greatest athlete to ever play in Kansas City. Whether it be on the ball field or on the gridiron, George Brett is the top athlete to come from our town. And in over 45 years of living here in Kansas City, he knows this truly is a special place. George Brett's seen it all. He's done everything possible in life. He's hung out with every president since Jimmy Carter, and he's making a difference with the ALS Foundation. Here's my conversation with Hall of Famer George Brett. I always start these podcasts, and we're doing it you know, for, for people that are, are popular, but also give back and do good things. And we were talking before we started about Sarah, the policewoman, with, with ALS. And you've been involved with ALS for many, many years in this town. And that's just a story, I think, that grabs everybody, George, where, where you look at her and you go, oh, my God, somebody who's in the prime of their life coming yeah. down with ALS. It's just such a terrible, terrible disease. It, it's brutal. Um, I meet people every year that just get it. You know, we invite them to the golf tournament that Tommy Watson and I co-host, and and you meet people um, that have been recently diagnosed with ALS, or maybe a year ago, they they all come out to the golf tournament, and uh, and it's really sad because they know there's there's no cure yet, yeah. and uh, they can make them as comfortable as they can for a while. Uh, the devastating thing about this disease is your your brain still works fine, but your body just starts shutting mm-hmm. down, and and you and you got to live through that. Um, but this gal I met probably. A month ago, Sarah Olson, um, she's a policewoman, Kansas City, uh, uh, Missouri policewoman, and uh, she always wanted to work the dugout. And so my son Jackson was at the game, and you know Jackson knows everybody there yeah, right, <laughs> at the yeah. stadium because he worked He's there. He's more as popular than you are now. It's unbelievable. <laughs> and uh, so he said, "Dad, the policeman want to introduce you to some young policewoman who's just uh, been diagnosed with ALS." So I met her, and she's a wonderful, wonderful girl, and. And um, and uh, talk to her and uh, coming up, we're going to throw out. She's going to throw out the first pitch at a at uh, at a game at at uh, Royal Stadium. I'm going to escort her to the mound, and I've set her up with all the people at ALS. They've been in contact, and uh, some of the local store news uh, channels are going to do a story on her. So, I mean, it's just devastating. My heart goes out to her, her friends, her family, uh, and you know, I think the day that she worked the, the home dugout was her last day in uniform. Oh. She couldn't work anymore. Yeah. They took they made they made her take off her uniform. Fast forward about a week and a half, two weeks later, I'm there meeting President Trump at the airport. I got invited to to meet him, uh, greet him as he came in, and um, uh, regardless of your party, and I. I I do like Donald Trump. I'll, I'll admit that. A lot of people don't. Sure. But I like him. Uh, when the president asks you to do something, you do it. Right. And uh, so I was invited and uh, ended up riding in his limousine. I'm there just before I get in the limousine with him to go downtown when he's going to address the veterans of foreign wars. Guess who I see standing in the crowd in her civilian clothes? Sarah, Sarah Olson. And she was there just to see the president. Did she so, get to meet the president? Uh, did you bring him I, over? I, I didn't. I don't know if you he, hate she Donald, ever. Come yeah, here. <laughs> you got to meet this gal. This gal's really special <laughs> yeah. to me. But uh, but it's um, it's 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 really a sad story, and it's going to be a sad night when I when I do that with her. Yeah, I, I think also too though. I can see you doing that, George. Like you're the only person I can see going. Hey, Don, get over here, meet this girl. <laughs> <laughs> like there, there's nobody else no. on earth that I can see doing that and no. dragging him over to meet no, her. No, I, I didn't do it. She it, was it, she was kind of inward a little bit in the crowd, but I did see her. Get Gave her a hug. Um, special lady. Used to be a bodybuilder. One of the guys that's uh, working this show used to work with her at Dick's 10 years ago, you yeah. know. And uh, when we started talking about her, he goes, I know that gal. Yeah. And uh, it, it's just really a sad story. You know, you guys have uh, gotten a lot of awareness for ALS. I mean, since everybody's known you've been around ALS and dealing with ALS for basically your whole time here in Kansas City. I yeah. mean, it's been something you've been passionate about. How much awareness do you think you guys have created for ALS and, and money raised for well, that disease? I, well, the, the, big, the biggest fundraiser ever was that ice bucket challenge yeah my gosh and and we would love to do a pie in the face trick now you know one of those throw pie <laughs> in someone's face and donate a hundred bucks yeah. to to cream your buddy but uh you know we're always trying to figure out ways to 
uh, raised money not only for patient services but to fight the disease itself. Yeah. And they have made a little bit of progress. But uh, over the years, I don't know what we've raised in Kansas City. And uh, it's sad having Tommy involved because he lost his, one of his best friends in the world uh, Tommy Watson is his caddy, Bruce yep. Edwards, yep. and Bruce died of that. And so Tommy jumped on board as soon as that happened. And then one of our legendary sports writers, Joe McGuff, died of ALS. Mm-hmm. So the tournament is now named the Joe McGuff uh, ALS Tournament. And, um, and uh, you know, it's sad. I, I always, I've been saying this for years, uh, doing the, the dinners, the Night of Hope dinners uh, in the wintertime uh, when they weren't during spring training. I would always do those things, but I really believe that with Kansas City, as generous as it has been to all, not only ALS over the years, but all the charities, this is the most giving city which I've ever it's I've ever known. Right? It's Everybody I know is involved in some charity. Yep. And I go home, Bob, to L.A., and there's not one guy I know that I've known or anybody that I've, uh, I've met that are involved in a charity. Yeah, they might go to a function here and there, but nobody's lending their time and effort to a charity. You know what I mean? Sure. But uh, I really believe that Kansas City was the first town in the United States that really started doing major fundraisers for ALS. And when they do find a cure, I think we're going to have a parade in Kansas City. I think it's going to be special. That, that'd be awesome. And you're right about that. Like, I tell people that all the time. Growing up in New Jersey, nobody was involved in any yeah, that kind of stuff. It's crazy. Either. Like, people are in their own minds, right? And I'm on the board of the BMA Foundation, and we just completed our ninth year. And we've given back $1.3 million in money to Kansas City charities. And that's just money that's raised here in town yep. in nine years. And a little foundation that we are to give money back like that, it really does go to show you how special this place is. And yep. people say, what makes Kansas City great? It's the people because, hey, I need help. I need this. People are ready to go at the drop of a hat. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree 100% with you. All right, I want to get back to the president because I think that's one of the coolest things you can do is hang out with the president of the United States, mm-hmm. regardless of your political party or who you like or right. who you don't like. I think it's the coolest thing in the world. What was it like being in that limo with the president? Well, to go back, I mean, I met uh, Jimmy Carter. He was the first president I ever met. He came into the, he flew into downtown Kansas City Airport, and this was 1980. And, and that's when they had the George Brett for President bumper stickers when I was hitting 400. <laughs> right. You know, and so when he came off to the plane, I had a Jimmy Carter bumper sticker. And then he pulls out a George Brett for President bumper sticker. Oh, that's and pretty cool, And I have cool, a picture right? of that. Oh, I that's still awesome. have a picture of it. Yeah. And then every president since then I've had a chance to meet. And I've met, you know, I've met the Republicans. I've met the Democrats and, you know, was invited to... Uh, the White House when Clinton was there. I was invited to the White House when Obama was president, and I've been there with uh, was really good friends with the Bush family. I remember when George uh, Senior was running for president. Uh, he had me introduce him at a at a uh, at a uh, rally down at Crown Center, and uh, it was on Halloween night. And and his granddaughters Jenna and the other one I think their names are right uh, were there, and one of them was wearing a chiclets piece of gum costume and the other one was a witch or something you know but i mean it was really neat meeting him i remember going back to 1985 when we won the world series when george bush was the vice president after the meeting uh after we did our little meeting with the president somebody came and got me and i was sitting there talking with brett saberhagen and dick hauser and they said hey uh, uh the vice president wants to see you in his office so sure enough they took all three of us and we walked into President Bush's uh, off, or Vice President Bush's office and in the meantime the bus now has left and they, they left to go meet all the people from Kansas City that work in Washington they had a little reception for us the bus had left, nobody knew where we were and so all of a sudden we go hey we gotta get going, how are we gonna get over there and the President or Vice President says hey uh, uh, get my driver, have him drive him over to the uh, place. Yeah. <laughs> so me and Saber Hagen and, uh, and Dick Hauser rode in the vice president's limousine back to where everybody else was, and we're going, where did everybody go? You left us. Well, where were you? We were in the vice president's office. Yeah, that's pretty but, awesome. But it's been really neat. Yeah. It's something that got handwritten letters from Nixon uh, and stuff. He was a huge baseball fan. And uh, just it's just kind of a fun little deal. Is, is, is it the ability to meet these guys because of baseball? Or it's is all it baseball. It, it it's is. all baseball. I mean, I wouldn't have been invited to the White House ever if it wasn't for baseball, yeah. you know. But what, what, what's who's the coolest one that you've met? Um, well, Donald, just because of the controversy he stirs up, you yeah, know that sure. that's pretty cool. Um, 
But I would say the Bushes. I, I, I really enjoyed being with them. Uh, George Bush, obviously, when he, my last year, he owned the, the uh, Texas Rangers. Uh-huh. And uh, right before my last game, he called me out on the field and gave me a, a crystal to sit in the shape of Texas for playing against the Rangers for 20 years. And uh, he said I admired the, he admired the way I played, you know. And, um, and then once he became president, on opening day a lot of times, he would invite all the living Hall of Famers to the White House for lunch. Wow. And I remember, and it was all us and our wives. So we fly into Washington, and, uh, and I'm looking at my, my table, and I'm at table 61. And I'm going, oh, man, I got a bad draw. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, I was at the table with the president. So oh, it was pretty cool. That's it awesome. was pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. So so you're in this car with Donald. Are you guys together in this car? Or are you in a separate car? No, from- we're we're sitting. I'm sitting side by side. What are you guys talking about? Uh, we talked a little golf. We talked a little Rush Limbaugh because he knew of our friendship. Right. Uh, but we talked a lot of golf. Uh, also, the guy running against. Uh, uh, Claire McCaskill was in the car, Holly. Mm-hmm. So he was in the car, and they were talking a lot of politics and stuff. And uh, then we had the guy that was just appointed the day before who was the director of, of the VFWs. He was in the car also. So there was a lot of, a lot of political talk going on. And, uh, you know, Donald was asking about my golf game and, and things like that. But he was, uh, he was fun to be around. I'm, I'm sure for, like, a guy like that, like, you're going, man, this is the president of the United States. This is cool. And he's going, that's George Brett. That's well, a baseball Hall of Famer. How much of that is, like, him wanting to talk to you and you wanting to talk we to didn't, him? Well, yeah. we talked a little bit about baseball. We talked about him going to the games with uh, playoff games with Steinbrenner. Yeah. And he said, man, you always had good games against the Yankees. He said, Steinbrenner didn't like you very much. <laughs> and stuff like that. But we had, we had a good time. Steinbrenner loved you, though, didn't he? Didn't well, he? He, he didn't like me during the game. But yeah. I, I've, uh, he, he did a lot of things for me. Uh, after games in New York, a, a good friend of mine was vice president of the Yankees, Arthur Richmond. Mm-hmm. You remember him? Yeah, I remember that. And uh, one day... Uh, we had to hurry back in town. Rush was still living in New York then, and we were going to go out and have dinner with him. So uh, Rush or uh, Arthur came down to our locker room after the game and says, "Hey, hurry up and shower so we can go meet you, or, uh, your wife, and Rush at uh, this restaurant." Uh, Steinbrenner got us a limousine so you could get there on time. Uh-huh. He did stuff like that. Yeah. And about a month before my dad died, he was he wanted to go back to New York because he grew up in New York, and uh, so he went with two of my brothers. And uh, my brother Ken was broadcasting for the Angels then, and they happened to be there. So my dad wanted to show him the neighborhood. So Steinbrenner got my dad a limousine the whole time he was there. Got him a town car to take him wherever he wanted to go. And I thought that was pretty special. That is. But that's the type of guy he was. I think he was really soft on the inside, but really portrayed himself as just the nastiest guy on the face of the planet. How bad did he want you to go play for him? Never. He never. He did. Well, I I was always long-term contract. They never tried to trade for me. Um, But uh, I don't think that's one one of the teams I could have never played for because of my pure hatred for him. After after we'd lost to him in 76, it wasn't that bad. Yeah. After we lost to him in 77, it got personal. And I thought, uh, and then the way we started playing against each other, every time we'd go to New York, 50,000 people. Every time they came in Kansas City, 40,000 people. And, and, and all of a sudden, just the excitement level of the players, I think, rose a little bit. And the intensity of, of the performances rose a little bit. And all of a sudden, instead of sliding in, you slid in a little harder. Mm-hmm. You know, and every and, once in a while, you may have punched a guy. You might, you <laughs> might have gotten a fight on the field. You never know. And uh, the littlest things would kind of um, uh, irk the other team a little bit. Yeah. And, so, and so it just got bad blood. It got really bad blood. And uh, so there's no way I don't think I could ever ever put on a Yankee uniform. It's interesting because now people always talk about, oh, the Yankees and Red Sox, this great rivalry, and I'm always like, you forget years ago, well, a long yeah. time ago, well, and it was I Yankees don't recall, and Royals. I really don't recall, Bob, if the Yankees-Red Sox rivalry was that big in the 70s. I, it wasn't. No. I, I don't think it was. I think we might, the Dodgers and the Giants have always had one. Right. Always had one. Um, and I think we might have been, we might have been right up there with that, you know, for about a 10-year period. Mm-hmm. Ten year period. How do you not get kicked out of a game when you guys punch each other like that? You know, I don't know. Uh, as, as soon as it happened, I said, "You just got kicked out of the game, you idiot." Yeah. You know, but it, it never happened. 
Never happened. Nowadays, you've gone. Oh, my God, you're gone. You're, you're suspended a month. Yeah, they never want to see you again. Without pay, and you're making uh, $20 million, so you, you just lost $5 million bucks yeah. for punching a guy. It's not worth it. <laughs> not anymore. Not, not worth it. No. But back in the old days, it was worth it. I had no question. I didn't even it. get fined. Didn't not, even get fined. Even fine. I didn't even get fined. I don't think I ever got fined for the Pine Tar game. I, I miss those type of rivalries. Like, that were really blood, you know, rivalries yeah, like right. that. We don't see that Do much. the Cubs and uh, the Cardinals still have that? Yeah, they I guess. think there's some bad blood there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we don't have any. I thought we had, we, a couple of years ago, we had it with the White Sox. Right. It was, it was bad. But now, neither team is very good, so what are you going to do? Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> The Rush Limbaugh situation is very interesting to me because people say, you know, how, he was in Kansas City. Wait, what was he doing there? I go, well, he was working for the Royals front office. Him and George formed a relationship. He goes on to become the best talk show host on earth. You go on in the history one of the and the history. I mean, how, his show is incredible. Happen? How does that happen? Well, you know, I don't know. I, I, Am I really, close to I always, him or not? I always tell people that he could have been as successful being a sports talk show host as politician, uh-huh. as a politics guy. Um, but when he worked for the Royals, he worked in group sales, and he was in charge of who was going to sing the national anthem oh. and first ball ceremony. That was his job. And I think he was making $12,000 a year. And he would come down to the locker room. He was single. He's shy. You know, the one thing people don't realize about Rush is he's pretty shy. Uh-huh. He really, he, deep down inside, he really is. Most of us that sit behind a microphone are. Yeah, but you know what? He turns it on in a studio in Palm right. Beach. He can go there and be Rush Limbaugh. But when he gets out in public, he's not that outgoing. He doesn't like to go out to restaurants because he thinks half the people in the world love him and the other half hate him. Yeah. What if he goes to a restaurant and, half the, and all the people in there are the people that hate him? It's sure. not going to be fun. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to be fun. So... So, uh, well, in fact, I'll tell you a story. When we were in New York and Steinbrenner gave us the limousine to have dinner with him, we were eating at Elaine's. And Elaine's is kind of a Democratic hangout, I guess, in New York. And the, the editor of Harper's Magazine was in there. And I guess that's a really, you know, Democratic magazine, I guess. I'll take your word for it. I, I don't know. I, I knew nothing about this. And I get there, and I can see Rush is a little upset, and my wife's really upset. And I, I'm all excited. We beat the Yankees. I got three knocks, and I'm all excited. Arthur's a little down because he lost, and I order a beer, and I'm all smiley. And I go, what's wrong with you guys? And they go, these people at the next table, they're just loud and obnoxious, and they're saying things just to – and so I, get, I said, let me go talk to them. So I walked over there, and I said, hey, I – New in town, just in for the weekend. My name's George Brett. We played the Yankees today. Uh, we beat them. I'm in a great mood. And I understand you guys are perturbing my wife and Rush a little bit. And I said, you know what? I don't, I don't get politics. I really don't understand politics. Um, but I'm going to tell you what. You guys are over here. The Democrats are probably right on half the things. And the Republicans are right on half the things. But if you guys could just budge a little closer rather than always butt heads, I think our country would be a better place. I think our country would be at a better sure. place. And and sure enough, I just say, um, hey, have a good dinner. Right. I walk over, and the, the editor of Harper's comes up to me afterwards and says, hey, Rush, uh, Mrs. Brett, sorry for, sorry for you know, not ruining your evening, but right. uh, disturbing you so much. And I uh, said, George, thanks for the talk. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. All of a sudden, I knew something about politics. It, it could be so easy, but yet people don't want to yeah, give. And I, mean, I know. It, in it's, 2018, George, it's like... You know, I don't agree with everything. It's Donald not 1776 says. anymore. Life has changed right. since September 11th, 2001, when they did that. Right. Life has changed. You know, we we got to have a new set of rules. We got to be a little bit more protective of our own country, in my opinion. Um, and there's just so many things that they, they just won't agree. They they just agree to disagree, and there's no budging whatsoever. And it just drives me absolutely crazy. In fact, I think that's the reason why Donald Trump won the presidency. I just sure. think people were sick and tired of the same old people going to Washington and, and nothing really getting done. Do and, you get a lot of feedback and blowback from oh people? Oh, God, from your people, people hate I me. Mean, I, I, when people were, hate me. When, when well, I took Trump, a picture. I took a picture. I took a picture of my dogs before the election. Right. And I put uh, Make America Great Hats again on uh-huh. both of my dogs. I took a picture. And I, all I said was, if only dogs could vote. Sure. That's all I said. Keith Oberman retweeted that to his hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousand tweeters. And you wouldn't, everybody retweeted to me about that picture. Yeah. One guy tweeted back. 
don't be surprised if you come home one day and your dogs are dead. Oh, nice. Uh, that's really nice. Yeah. Isn't that nice? Yeah. I don't tweet. I'm not going to ever tweet anything controversial again. I don't go up there and do controversial things but the, but politically. You, you don't think that's controversial, but, it turned, but don't, nowadays it is. It was fun. It was fun. You know? Yep, I'm, I get it too. I get death threats to myself on yeah. Twitter. Like I oh just had God. one guy the other day go, "I can't wait till Bob Fesco's dead. I'll buy all the shots at the bar." Yeah, what bar? Uh, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to that one. You're going to that one, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then you yeah. do research. God, I hope I outlive you. <laughs> <laughs> you want free shots, right? <laughs> I don't do shots, but I'll have a cold beer. But it, it's amazing because I, I even heard from my friends. I'm getting my phone's blowing up. I'm going, what, "What's going on? What's going on? What's going on?" And I'm like. Well, like George is with Donald Trump telling me he can. I'm like, really? Yeah. You're like, you're getting this mad over yeah. that? So I it's can only imagine, like, yeah. I'm getting. I don't it, pay we, much attention to it. I don't pay much attention to it. I mean, it's ridiculous the yeah. way that, that, that people are acting these days. Yeah. It's it's causing, I think, a bigger divide from where mm. we were. Instead of coming closer together, like you said, in the right. 70s or 80s, we're now getting further well, and I, further apart. I, I took Jackson up to uh, my son up to uh, D.C. for the Stanley Cup. He fell in love with the Golden Knights. We know, went right? to their second game, and he just fell in love with them. And you know, they started off; they were eight and zero and one or something. And he said, "Dad, if they make the Stanley Cup, we got to go to a game." I said, "If Jackson, if they make the Stanley Cup, I'll take you to a game. Wherever they're playing, though, I'm not going to. I'm not going to Vegas. Why? He and I have been to Vegas. I wanted to go someplace where he's never been. Right. Well, little did we know we were going to Washington. Yeah. Little did we even. I didn't even think at the time that the Golden Knights, an expansion team, would go to the Stanley Cup for crying out loud. Sure. But uh, so we go to D.C. I called up Kevin Yoder. I said, Kevin, my son's never been there. He brought a friend of his, Dylan Becker. And, um, and so the th- he had never been there either. So I said, I'd love to give him a tour of the Capitol and, and all the parks. Who do I get a hold of? He said, I'll have somebody from my office call you. So sure enough, somebody that works for him, a little girl named Haley from Kansas City, really a nice gal. We meet her outside the Capitol. She walks us all around and the inside of the Capitol. It was unbelievable. That's she awesome. said she said, Okay, you guys gotta go now. I said, Where you go where we have to go? Oh, you gotta go over to the White House. We got you a tour of the White House. And uh, Sarah Palin married a guy from Kansas City. He went to the Westwood View Elementary School, he went to Indian Hills Junior High and Shawnee Mission East High School. And um, so Sarah got wind that we were gonna be at the White House. And so she said, hey, uh, I'd love to meet him. And is there any way me and my husband could, could dine with him? For sure. Let's do it. Yeah. So we go out and have dinner. We're, we're, we're kind of hanging out with Sarah at the White House. And we were supposed to go meet Trump. And, and that's, that's the day the North Koreans dropped off the letter. And we were there from 1 to 3. And the North Koreans were supposed to drop off the letter at 1. They dropped it off at 1.15. They met till. 255 and then we were on the front yard when Trump and his family got on air on the helicopter and flew to Camp David for the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> and so the North Koreans stole stole Jackson's and my chance the first time to meet the president, you know. <laughs> well, we ended up having dinner with Sarah Payne. Had you met Donald before no, this? No, I talked have. to him on the phone. Yeah. We were going to play in uh uh one day when I was down playing with Rush cuz he they know each other and Rush lives right next to Trump. Uh, golf course down in Palm Beach. Yeah. So we went over there and played, and he was going to play, but he got tied up in a meeting. This is long before he ran for president, maybe six, seven years ago. And so uh, he got tied up in a meeting, couldn't make it, and so we played without him. And he called that day, and Rush was getting ready to hit. So he said, here, hold on, i got to hit, talk to George. And so I talked to him. He said, sorry, I missed you. Next time in town, we'll play golf. Yeah. I said, okay, fine. Um, Rush has never invited me back since. So, <laughs> But... Uh, but uh, so we have dinner with Sarah Palin, yeah, and uh, some guy named Johnny Johnny. I can't never remember his last name, but he's a Kansas City guy too, and he works for Trump in the White House, and um, and uh, he and his wife join us. Haley joins us, me, Jackson, and Dylan Becker, and Jackson's sitting next to Sarah Palin. I'm sitting next, or not Sarah Palin, Sarah Huckabee, and um, and I always call her Sarah Palin just because because the name yeah. Sarah, yeah. So Sarah Huckabee, and you're 65 now. It doesn't matter. Yeah, anymore, exactly. Right? Yeah. And uh, so she texts me after dinner and says, I picked up dinner, of course, you know. Yeah. 
So she said, George, uh, we were going to buy dinner. Thanks for dinner. Had a wonderful time. My husband had a blast meeting you. You were his favorite player growing up. And by the way, Jackson's my new best friend, whether you like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, So he's it taking, was cool. He's getting the genes from the old man. Yeah, he, yeah. he knows everybody wherever he goes. Well, he's you know? a, Jackson's a lot more personable than I am. Yeah. Yeah, he's a little more tolerant with people than I am. <laughs> you don't have the time of day for well, some Some people, people right? I don't, yeah. but you know, most mostly I try to. It's good to be you at times, isn't some it? Days, I mean, you, but sometimes got, it's not. But yeah. it's, it's all right. You've gotten life's you, good. Life's life is good, man. You've gotten to do a lot of cool things in your life. What's the coolest thing you've ever done? Coolest thing I've ever done? Wow. You know, I don't know. I have no clue. Um, it's a tough one. Think tough about one. it. Yeah, I Think will. About it. Think about it. We'll come back to it. We'll get back to my conversation with George Brett in a moment. But first, I want to tell you about Red Door Grill. It's spectacular for the weekends. On Saturday and Sunday, they've got a brunch that everybody loves. I enjoy the vegetable frittata. My kids love the chicken and waffles. Those buttermilk chicken tenders on top of hot waffles drizzled with some delicious syrup. Mmm, it is so good. And Red Door Grill truly has something for everyone. You've got the brunch on Saturday or Sunday that everyone's talking about. Plus, $5 burgers every single Monday at all three Red Door Grill locations. And then Thursday, you know what that means. It's Jalapeno Fried Chicken Day. And that's the fried chicken that George Brett was talking about to me after we taped our podcast. He loves the fried chicken. He's not the only Hall of Famer that loves the fried chicken. Warren Moon loves the fried chicken as well. So many people tell me how great the fried chicken is at Red Door Grill. And if you haven't been in there on Thursdays to get it, you're truly missing out. They've got appetizers. They've got all kinds of drinks. And the weekend brunch features a Bloody Mary that is phenomenal. My kids love to get the pretzel sticks for an appetizer. And I love the calamari. So if you're looking for a place that has something for everyone, it's Red Door Grill with their three locations in Overland Park, Leewood, and the heart of Brookside. And we'll see you at Red Door tonight. What story do you hate discussing? Probably the pine tar game. Really? Yeah, it's it's a good. You did thing. a great job of reenacting it at the wiffle ball tournament. Yeah, it's it, it's a good thing because it's not. And 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 I hate to always bring this up because there's been so many of these things in his, in the history of baseball and the World Series or playoff games or whatever. But um, but uh, you know, my friend Billy Buckner, that's what he's remembered for. Yeah. And right. and you don't even have to tell say what happened, right? And that's what he's remembered. And for. he was a hell of a baseball he player. He was a great player. I mean, borderline twenty eight hundred hits. Yeah, led the batting you know batting championship, and 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 to see what he had to do. His last year was with Kansas City, and he lockered right next to me. And what he had to to endure to go out and play the game of baseball on a daily basis, soaking his taping his ankles. He didn't even use that under wrap. He just used right on his skin. Soaking his feet nice, you know, it just, I mean, he was hobbled. But when it came time to play, I mean, he played, and he played hard. Yeah. I mean, I think without his bad ankles, he probably could have played more years and got 3,000 hits and been a member of the Hall of Fame. He was that good a player. Mm -hmm. And he was on a bad team when he was with the Cubs. They were in last place. And he still led the league in hitting, you know. And, and, you know, guys are pitching around him. They go, why am I going to let Billy Butler uh, Buckner beat me if I I, I know I can get the guy out behind him? Mm -hmm. And, uh, but, you know. I mean, he was a competitive guy, and uh, so when when you're remembered for that one thing, there are a lot of other things. Well, that and the hemorrhoids during the sure. 19. See, the the pine tar game has, has kind of overshadowed that. Um, I remember I remember after the 1980 season was over, and we go to 1981. Everywhere I went, visiting ballpark, you get on the on deck circle, and the fans are five feet from you there. Every day I heard hemorrhoid jokes. That's all I heard, you know. And um, and uh, and then after the Pine Tar game, July twenty fourth, nineteen eighty three, July twenty fifth, nineteen eighty three. Guess what? I heard Pine Tar jokes. Yeah. Now, what would you rather be remembered for? You know, the Pine Tar or having hemorrhoids? And and I always choose the Pine Tar. Yeah, it's it was best. a good thing. Yeah, where Pine where the hemorrhoids. Are bad? Th- it's not a bad thing. Well, it's not pleasant, George. Well, it's not. Know. I mean, those that have had them. I remember my father called me, and he said, "Geez, I can't believe you're in the hospital because of hemorrhoids." And I said, "Dad, they're just—I just got a really bad in their in their in internal, yeah. you know." 
And, and after the second game of the World Series, I flew home and I went right to the hospital and I had like a minor operation and then went out and played game three two days later. And uh, about, you know, fast forward, that was 1980. Fast forward probably, you know, 15 years, I get a call from my brother. And uh, one of my brothers, and I, I said, hey, I haven't talked to dad in a while. How's dad doing? Oh, he's in the hospital. I go, you got to be kidding me. What's wrong? He has hemorrhoids. I said, what hospital is he in? <laughs> Swear to God. So I call up the hospital. Hello. I go, is this Jack Brett? He goes, yeah. And I said, you pussy, you know, thing, same thing he called me. And, and, and he goes, who's that? I said, this is your son. I said, you can't even sit behind a desk because you have a case of hemorrhoids. He said, I take back everything. These things are brutal. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a good gotcha. Yeah, that that's was a good. good gotcha. I like that. Yeah. Do, you, do you still get them, or does the surgery? Cure no, no, all? I'm, I'm been fine. You've been, been fine, fine since. Yeah. Right, well, I'll... I've always said there are two people in the world: those that have had them and those that'll get them. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, they're awful. They're absolutely awful. So if you haven't had them, guess what? You're getting them. <laughs> Just a matter of time. <laughs> what story don't you tell enough that you're like? I uh, love this story, but nobody ever asked me about oh, it. Oh God. I don't know. You're asking some tough questions. I know. I wish you would have faxed me these things over. Fax? You still got a fax machine? <laughs> <laughs> tweeted or no, I texted those over to me. Not tweeted, texted. Uh, they don't ask enough. I would say um, I would say winning my third batting championship. Because I thought I was done at the All-Star break. I thought my career was coming to an end. And... and um, uh, this is 1990. I was 37 years old. I was hitting 250 at the break. Everybody, uh, I, I, it was ironic. I was starting to go into towns, and there was be an article by some columnist there. Hey, George Brett's on his last leg. He's done. He's not the player he once was. Right. And, um, you know, he's led a hard life off the field, and it's caught up to him finally. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, you start going, start going up the bat the last last and people are cheering for you because they figure you're done you're done this last time i get to see george (laughs) yeah Yeah, right yeah and then all of a sudden the second half hit like 390 or something to uh overtake ricky henderson and Raphael in the batting race and catapult me to play in three more years because i played 91 92 93 yeah but then then that became the only player in baseball history to win batting champions in three different decades which Mm -hmm. you would think that would be like god he won 30 batting championships no, it was three perfectly times one. Yeah. 76, 80, and 90. Yeah, so perfect. It's perfect, yeah. It timed out well. Do you ever regret being mic'd up? Because people talk about the hemorrhoids and the pine tar, and now it's this Vegas oh, yeah, experience. Yeah, yeah. Do I do. That? I do, and, and, and you know, you do it, and, and after you've been mic'd up before, sure. you just kind of forget about it. You do, yeah. It, it, it's almost like that movie Airplane. When Leslie Nielsen goes to the bathroom before he's going to make a speech, yeah. and he's peeing and peeing and peeing, and his mic's on, and everybody in the auditorium can hear it, and yeah. then he farts, and, and everybody's going, yeah. you know, you just kind of forget it's there, right. and, and the ironic thing is, is one of the guys was telling me that he pooped. Yeah. And I said, uh, so, you know, I said, well, asked the other guy, when was the last time you? He said, I, I can't remember. I said, God, it happened to me. I got food poisoning so bad. In, um, in Vegas one night, I had some crabs. And the next thing you know, I told the story. I think the guy got fired from the station. He stole that tape and put it on the Internet. Oh. I think that's what happened. Because I don't think any TV station in their right mind would ever publicize that. No, God no. So somebody stole it. Uh, I probably could have sued the station, I would think. I right. don't know. But, uh, you know, I'm kind of known for that, too. Yeah. But there's two type of people in this world, those that have and those that haven't. And I have done that, too. <laughs> yeah, so, so you got three things going yeah. for you, George. Look at Phil Mickelson practicing in shorts. I guess they let him wear shorts in the pro-am now. Yeah, I guess. That's awesome. It's only two. Well, it's Wednesday, I guess. Yeah. Um, So so you got all that going for you, and then you you got the appearance on Modern Family, which is my favorite show, and Eric Stone Street has done this podcast. You did it, and he was like like a little kid. He said everybody on set was like a little kid to get to meet you, to, to be part of that. How cool was that for you to be on that show? That was, it was really neat, and, and, uh, when I, um, agreed to do it eric called me up and he said hey we got a cool thing written for you i'd love for you to do it and i'm looking at my schedule i'm going yeah i could do that 
So I flew out there, say, on a Tuesday, got in Tuesday at 5 o'clock, went to my favorite Mexican restaurant for dinner, Paco's Tacos. Paco's Tacos? Right by the airport. LAX? LAX, right by LAX. How do you uh, go by In-N-Out Burger and not go to Paco's Tacos? I'm not a big In-N-Out guy. Ah. Are you like a Gene um, Watson I'm more, of a I'm more of a Freddy's. I love Freddy's. Freddy's is a nice job. Yeah. So, so I had the, the then the my buddy picked me up at the airport. We went right from right from the airport to Paco's. Car picks me up at Paco's, takes me to my hotel. Get up in the morning, and they take me to the set. Well, we didn't film till twelve thirty. I had to leave the hotel at seven. Drive an hour, and then I just sit in my own trailer. I had my own huge trailer. Really? So I get there, and uh, as soon as I get there, they pull up. I see Ed O'Neill. Who plays? He's Al Bundy, right? Pritchett, Mr. Right. Pritchett. I don't even know his first name, but I know Al Bundy. <laughs> so, and he's a he's he used to be a football player in real life, in real he life, did. in college. Okay, in Yorktown or York, Pennsylvania, or York. What's that city up there? Sure, it's a big football. Yeah, and he was a big time football player, I guess, in high school. Maybe he went to college. So, you know, jocks like to talk, jock talk. So he's standing there, and all of a sudden I'm shaking, shake his hand, and he introduces himself. And I go, I know who you are, but, you know, I call you Al Bundy. He says, that's fine. I don't care. Right. And like you said earlier, just keep sending the check every 1st and 15th, and I'll be the happiest guy in the world. Yeah. So I'm talking with him, and we're just having a nice conversation. And then in between two trailers, I see somebody coming, and I don't pay much attention. And then they get three feet from me. And turns to go behind me, and I go like this, and it was some beautiful gal, and it was that uh, Eva or oh yeah yeah, yeah, what, yeah what's her name uh, I don't even know uh, her name. what's her name Eva, Ryan? Uh, no not Eva Mendez on uh, Modern Fair no no on no. Modern Family it's his wife yeah his wife the on one with Family. the accent yeah yeah I, and I, so yeah. yeah and so I go oh my god yeah she's gorgeous and and I said is that who I think it was she said yeah he said yeah he said don't worry you'll meet her. Never saw her again. Never saw her again. Never saw her again. <laughs> See, I like Julie Bowen on that show, The yeah. Blonde. Now, oh, she's yeah. hot. Now, like she's married to the really the dingbat. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that guy's, that guy's classic. <laughs> um, but um, but uh, so, you know, I'm sitting there, and then I just sit in the trailer, and then we go do our makeup. I'm sitting next to Eric as we do our makeup. We're just sitting there BSing and go do the scene, and really they had some lines for me, but I, I said, do I have to say it per word, you know, verbatim, and... And they go, hey, just stay, stick to the subject. Yeah. We did it in three takes. The first take they might have shown. It was the best one. Always and, is. Yeah, it was. And and um, and uh, my job was obviously to keep Eric away from going back to the retreat where his husband was. Right. And so as we're walking along, and, and I don't I don't even think they showed, put this on the air because it would have been too controversial. And so my job was just keep him going, walk in the other direction, and he keeps looking back, going, "Man, I got to get back there." And so I go, "So you know, what are you doing here in spring training?" Oh, me and my, uh, we're, we're just talking. I said, "So who are you here with?" And he said, "My husband." I go, "Husband? How's that working out?" <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think they cut that or yeah. they played that, but I mean, it was a lot of fun. It was. It was a blast. I got two Modern Family director chairs at my home in Arizona in the backyard, which yeah. is really cool. And um, but it was it was a lot of fun. Hope, hopefully, I can you know be on it once about once a year. Just do something. Just do something. Yeah. Fun. I mean, I, I had a blast with them. I think if you tell them, hey, I'd like to be on again, they'd yeah, be more the than happy to have The directors were incredible. The producers, everybody there was fantastic. It's 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 such a fam- and even Eric told me this. It's really a family atmosphere there. Yeah. They're really a close knit group of people that work there. Yeah, he said the same thing to me. Like like because usually when you work in an environment like that, you don't go home at the end of the day and still hang out with those people. Right. Or you go about and do your own thing. And I said, what are you going to do when Modern Family ends? I said because is it coming to an end? He goes, yeah, probably one more season and we're done. And I said, okay, cool. I said then then what happens? And he said. I don't know that I want to do another show like that because of that close-knit relationship that we have. He goes, I don't know that I could work somewhere else and not have that same yeah, type of relationship right. with people. And you think he might be stereotyped now being a gay guy? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. On a regular show. It may be hard, but yeah. he's made enough money off of this one. Yeah. Yeah, the first time I met him, it was funny. It was during the All-Star game here. Mm-hmm. And they had that celebrity softball game. Right. And they wanted me to play in it. And so I said, okay, I'll play in it. And so I'm sitting there, and they had... You know, chairs out on the field because you didn't want to sit in the dugout, and you just sit down the first. We were the first base uh, line, and so I'm sitting right next to Eric Stone Street, and they introduce you. So you know, I got there, and I'm going, "Who the hell's Eric Stone? I've never heard of this guy." Then I saw him, and I'm going, "Oh, he's the gay guy on <laughs> on uh, Modern Family." 
So we're sitting there, and, you know, I didn't know he was from Kansas City. And he goes, hey, this is honor, you know. I grew up in Kansas City, and uh, come to the games, my wife or my sister and mother still come to a lot of ball games. They're yep. going to be thrilled. we got to get a picture taken. I said, great. And I said, hey, let me ask you a question. He goes, what's that? After we talked for like five minutes, I said, are you really gay? And he says, no, I'm a hell of an actor, aren't I? <laughs> yeah. his, his, I met his girlfriend a couple of months ago, really yeah. nice gal and, mm-hmm. and, and whatnot. And he's wanting to get, I think, more involved in Kansas City than he's ever been involved yeah. before, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think he's, he's picking up a lot of charitable type stuff. And he's right. back here a lot right now. He's become a great ambassador for our town. Yeah. He has been, you know. And well, you get all those guys that come in and play for slick, you know, slick city or whatever they call themselves, right? And they all come back here, you know, and 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 uh, spend the weekend with people in Kansas City and raise all that money for Children's Mercy. I mean, I think it's great. You at the parade felt like you were passing the torch to the next generation. You said these are the greatest Royals team ever in two thousand. I, I really believe they were. Sure. Yeah. But now they're all gone. Do you feel like you have to pass that torch now to again to another new generation of no, Royals players? No, I, I, I don't think I'm I'm carrying the torch or anything. I've, I've uh, been very fortunate to play my whole career with the city uh, or for the Royals. Uh, I've made this my home. I think that adds a little bit to it because not many people grow up in Southern California, half a mile from the ocean, and choose to live the next forty five years of their life in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. You know. But uh, the town's been great to me. It's adopted me from the, my first days here. And, uh, you know, to still be involved with the Royals and, you know, very minor, minor role, uh, which it is now, um, you know, I, I don't feel like I'm a torch relayer. I, I just think I'm a, I'm a fan like everybody else and will do anything the organization asks me to do to, to help make this organization better. You know, I really believe that. Yeah. Now, for you to see them finally get that world championship after 30 years, sigh of relief that you're like, finally somebody else has done well, this? Well, yeah, but, you know, you look at other teams. How many teams have, haven't won a World Series? It's crazy. Since 1995, the Royals are the only team in market 21 or higher to win a World Series. Yeah. It, New York, I mean, Boston, crazy. L.A., you know, sure. cities like that I mean, are the ones that win it. It's crazy. Uh, everybody, you know, we had that downtime after Ewing Kaufman died. Yeah. And I think we had that downtime because it was run by a trust, and the trust job was not to lose money. Right. And they didn't lose money, and we traded some good players. How about that year we had Damon, Dye, and Beltran in the outfield? In the outfield together. Maybe the best outfield in baseball, and none of them were 25 years old yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we could have kept that core together, if Ewing Kaufman hadn't died, if those weren't explicit, uh, explicit enough instructions for the board left by Ewing Kaufman, you know, the board might have said, screw it, we got to go out there, we got a chance to win, but that, that's the board was doing what it was told to do. Right. And, and, you know, we had some good players, and then, you know, we just we dug such a deep hole for ourselves in those 10 years until David Glass stepped up and bought the ball club. Mm-hmm. Well, you dig a hole for 10 years, it's going to take 10 years to fill that hole up. Sure. You know? And it did. And um, I, I, I think when, uh, when uh, uh, David Glass hired Dayton Moore, and Dayton said, I'm only coming here because I know Dayton told me, John Sherholtz said, don't go. You're crazy to go go back there. Dayton said, hey, I grew up in that area. I'm, I, I can do this. And he told David Glass, this is what we're going to need to get back to the caliber team that we had in the 70s and the 80s. And David said, I'm in. And Dayton did it. Mm-hmm. And did a tremendous job being an architect to build not only the major league team but rebuild the farm system. Uh, hire different, you know, scouts and, and, and bring in so many people in baseball ops business that that were better than the ones we had before. Those guys still work here, and I think it's just a process that we're going to have to go. Uh, a couple years ago, or it was last year, uh, last year when we two weeks, three weeks before the trading deadline, we were ten games out of first out of the wild card or something, and then they went on and won ten games right. in a row. And and we had a chance to give it one more run with Hosmer, Kane, everybody. So they went out and they tried it again. And as soon as the trading deadline was over, I think Cleveland got really hot. Minnesota got hot, and we got we did not. Right. And it was done. But it would have been interesting if we went five and five during that time instead of winning ten games. We'd still be so many games out. Who would have got traded? Who we got to got could have got return? 
the process might might not have taken so long. But sure. uh, you had to go for it. Yeah, absolutely. You, when you see that ring, you got to go for it. And and uh, obviously this year there's no ring in sight. No. Trades are being made to bolster our farm system to get the guys that we had to trade to get to the World Series. Sure. And win it, uh, go there in 14 and then win it in 15. Yeah. It was well worth it. Oh, God, yes. I don't think anybody in Kansas City is disappointed. You know, I think uh, uh, people in, in baseball ops for the Royals – Man, I didn't think we were going to be this bad. I didn't think we would lose this many games. I don't think Dayton thought we were going to lose this game. Gene Watson, you go down the whole line. JJ, Sharpie, everybody. I thought we would be somewhat competitive. Yeah. Just nothing has seemed to go right this year. I thought they'd, I thought they'd be competitive, too. But yeah. it's better to be like this than it is to win 70 games. What does that get well, you? Well, we're, 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 uh, we're going to find out about O'Hearn. We're going to find out about yep. Dozier the rest of the year. We're going to find out about this Herrera kid. We're going to find out about Bondesi. Things that we won't, we'll know going into next year. Right. That's, that's the good thing about being in our position. Uh, we might get the first pick of the draft. We might get the second pick of the draft. Sometimes those guys are... are our organization changers, an A-Rod, a Kenny Griffey Jr., you know, you Moose get a guy Hosmer, like that. You know? Yeah, you get a guy like that. But when you're picking 16 or 17, it's a little bit of a coin flip. Heads yeah. you win, tails you lose. You get that number one pick, you know, chances are you're going to get somebody special. So, you know, I, they're not tanking on purpose, no. believe me. They're trying to win. Yeah. And, uh, hey, there's Kevin Ward. Kevin Ward's here. Oh, my God. Um, I asked you earlier, what's the coolest day of your life? Coolest day of my life, I would say my first son. And and I'm just saying that because it was my first. I mean, my second son was right there. My third son was right there. I would have loved to have a little girl. I yeah. believe me. Don't get me wrong. Um, I'll tell you a funny story. I was just in the Dominican Republic and... Uh, at this place I was staying, they had a Michael Jackson impersonator. And so we went up there, and they were playing Thriller, and I played golf that day. I was hosting a golf event down there for an insurance company here in town and then spoke at the – it was an incentive sales program. Sure. And so and so I played golf with this guy, and I always take the winning team out to dinner that night. So this guy brought his family, and uh, he's from Georgia, and he had a little girl named Isabella. And she was the most beautiful little girl you've ever seen in your life, probably – six, seven years old. I never had a little girl. And little girl's always kind of soft spot to me. And all of a sudden, these monsters come out. And she had never seen the show. And she was sitting next to me. She jumped up, put her arms around me, bear hugged me. Her mom and dad, my wife sitting, uh, no, my wife was sitting next to her and then her mom and dad. And her mom and dad are going, this is unbelievable. She doesn't come on to people like that. But that, that was really cool. Yeah. But I would say having those three kids... Um, or something really, really special. Kids are game changers, man. I know for me, with you know two what? Little it, girls it, now, it was it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's unbelievable to see these guys grow up and to see what they go through and to watch them play little league sports and pop Warner football and soccer as kids and come home with homework and you know felt pretty smart doing their homework with them in fifth grade. I, I was going, man, I'm not that dumb after all. <laughs> little that's a high school and they're doing stuff I didn't even know how to do Out. it. Yeah, and. Uh, and then to see him go to college, even though two of them didn't graduate, see Jackson moved to Australia for two years at age 22, uh, live in Australia two years on his own, go to China, work, live there. Uh, now he's owner of his first house, yep. you know, with his own money that, that he earned working for the Royals mm-hmm. um, and other jobs. Uh, it, it's just uh, it's special to see these guys. I, I look forward. We try to have dinner once a month or once a week with our kids. Always try to get them to come over Sunday night and have a family meal where we can all sit together and visit because two of them don't live at home anymore. My other one's going back to Old Miss uh, in a week or so for school. Won't see him for a while. Mm-hmm. So, uh, But I, I would say just being a father is, is probably the coolest thing I've done. Do you have a mulligan in life? Do I have a mulligan? Do you, you want a mulligan on anything, um, I guess? Um, maybe if, if I, I, I would have loved to have had kids while I was still playing so they could have seen me play. Uh-huh. Jackson saw me play my last year, and he was eight months old when I retired. He doesn't remember he doesn't anything. Know. He doesn't know. Right. But to be able to bring them in the locker room like a lot of, lot of uh, guys do, bring their kids to the locker room, let them go on the field, you know, 
shag balls and stuff like that. That's something that I would have loved to have the opportunity to do, but I wasn't ready to get married back then. I, I always tell people, you and Jeter did it right. Like, yeah. you, you, you enjoyed your time as a ball player and then settled down after well, it was it, over. And, and there, it is distracting. I, was, I got married in 92. I retired in 93. So I was, 93 was my only year being playing baseball that I had a son. It is distracting. Yeah. You go to the ballpark, your mind's sometimes at home. You know, where I'd go to the ballpark up until I was 38 years old. There, I, when I'd left my home, I left. I locked the door, and there was nobody in there. My family all lived in California. I had no nothing on my mind except playing baseball. And all of a sudden, you get distractions. Your son's sick. You know, your wife doesn't feel good. You know, you're having a, a little tiff with your wife, let's say. Sure. And all of a sudden, you're driving to the ballpark. You're not thinking about the game. You're thinking about, you know, what's going to happen when you get home and stuff. There are plenty of guys that I played with, though, and they are, he and, uh, let's say, uh, a guy and his wife got, got in a little argument. He'd stay at my house that night. Come to my house. He was afraid to go home. I never had that problem. I went to an empty house. Yeah. So it was great. What is the next thing for you? Like, what haven't you done yet that you still want to do? Oh, gosh. You know. Yeah, that's. God, you're asking me some tough questions. Well, you've done everything. I've done everything. You know, my bucket list. I'm not going to jump out of an airplane. I I have no desire to do that. I'm not going to learn to, uh, well, I've retired from everything but golf. Let me just say that. Yeah. So sports are out. Sports are out. I played pickleball and blew out my right shoulder again after blowing it out four years ago. It was almost healed, and I blew it out playing pickleball. I blew out my right knee playing pickleball. I played in Dayton's thing, and I did something here on my left shoulder, my first swing of the day with a wiffle ball bat. I'm going, I'm done. (laughs) I am never playing another sport. I would say, um, God, you know, Bob, I, I don't know. I, I really can't answer that question. How about this? Be a grandfather. There you go. Yeah, be a grandfather. Are you close? Nah, not I that I know so. of. <laughs> <laughs> not that I know of. No, I don't think so. Yeah. They're, too, they're, they're too young for that quite yeah. yet. And that's okay. I hope they wait. Yeah. I, I'd, like to see, I'd like to see Jackson get married when he's 29, 30, yeah. but not at 25. Dylan's 24. Too young. Yeah. You know? Way too young. too young. Yeah. Thanks. Okay, that's it. That's it. Oh, that was easy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you guys record all that? Oh, well, oh, I forgot <laughs> to turn it on. Can you do it again? Can you do it again? I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Hall of Famer George Brett. He truly has done everything you possibly could do as a 65-year-old man. He's met so many great people, hung out with so many awesome people, and gives back to his community like nobody else. Our next podcast will feature former Chiefs offensive lineman Ryan Liljan. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.